what impression did you have from the black liberation theology theory to in comparison to real Christianity? In comparison to real Christianity? Yes. What do you mean? Because real Christianity is not about your color. It's not about male or female. It's about the spirit. We are a spirit. My understanding of black theology and black liberation theology as expressed by James Cohn was that it was an effort to um, to bring the, the faith that had driven the um, work of the civil rights movement with the emerging black power. Um, yeah. You know, theology, not theology, but black power ideology that didn't necessarily see itself as part of a faith tradition. And so it was an effort to blend both of those things and both of those aspects of the black community that were expressing themselves oh, I at see. that point in time. So it's more about a black movement than about God himself. I think it's about all of those things. Welcome to The Fallen State. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. The Fallen State is now on Patreon. So click on the Patreon link in the description to support our work. I have with me Shayla Harris, and she is the director and producer of the PBS recent four-hour documentary series, The Black Church. This is our story. This is our song. Shayla, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And so the documentary series uh, recently aired on PBS during Black History Month. How did you come up with this idea and what was the purpose? So this was a project that uh, Dr. Henry Louis Gates, who I may slip and refer to as Skip, which is his, his nickname. <laughs> um, but Dr. Gates, um, as maybe some of your audience may know, has been um, working on uh, a lot of documentaries about African-American history for many years for PBS. Yeah. And um, this was a really personal subject that he had wanted to do for a very long time. Um, you know, after I think the success of his Reconstruction series, uh, which came out um, several years ago, uh, he wanted this to be that follow up to that series. And so, uh, you know, it was one of his most personal projects. You know, he had always wanted to do something on religion and faith and its role in, in Black resistance. Um, and so the timing seemed right for us to, to take on this this series. And for those who you have seen it, we um, we actually started production before COVID, uh, so that's that's one of the reasons why you see people hugging on each other, uh, which is certainly not something we would have done during COVID. But so we started um, this series a couple of years ago in, in 2019. Is uh, Dr. Gates a uh, Christian? He is, yes. And uh, are you a Christian as well? Uh, I was raised Catholic, yes. Oh, okay. And so this project, what is, was it made by a Christian team? Uh, I think uh, most of the people affiliated with the project have some Christian faith um, in their backgrounds. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's, that's fair. It was interesting to see that you guys covered— uh, over 400 years of history. 
How long did it take to make that to finish from beginning to end? Uh, so from uh, so yeah, four hundred years is a lot of history to yeah. cover, and uh, um, and so we started um, our initial pre-production research where we you know spoke to a lot of scholars who we put together on a panel of advisors. Um, and so we started that in, um, you know, February of 2019 and went into production, which means, you know, we're on the road with Dr. Gates and yeah. her crew traveling all across the country, traveling to churches, big and small, you know, rural, urban, uh, north and south um, for several months. And we finished um, production. So we finished editing um, just as the lockdown was happening in March of 2020. So I would say over, you know, a year and change um, from start to finish, uh, from research to, you know, completion. Um, and then it was held um, because we thought, you know, it was originally slated to run in November of 2020, which, as we all know, was, you know, election yeah. year. And we didn't want the series to be overwhelmed by politics. And so we held it until February of, of 2021, which is w why you're seeing it now. And so you just happened to be walking down the road and Dr. Gates was like, hey, Shannon, yeah, come just <laughs> tap me on the shoulder. <laughs> what? Uh, so I, I got involved because um, I had uh, worked as a producer on Who Killed Malcolm X, which was a six-part series that aired on Netflix and Fusion last year. And, and Dr. Gates was an executive producer of that series. Um, so I became familiar to him um, through that. And when I had finished working on that, I had learned that they were starting production on uh, the black church. And uh, as someone who grew up Catholic, you know, I don't necessarily have a sort of traditional black church background. But, um, you know, I had obviously done a lot of documentaries and historical research on African-American history and had always had an interest in religion. And so this right. seemed like a really fascinating um series to bring all of those interests together. How much of this series uh, is true and how much is made up? Uh, all of it's true. None of it's made up. <laughs> <laughs> None of it's made up. Um, and, and what time period does the series start and end? So we were very interested in charting um, the role of religion and faith in the African-American experience. And for us, that really started with the arrival of Africans to this shore. So that's from 1619, um, which is sort of when people sort of mark that, that first arrival of Africans to these shores into the present day. So uh, 2019 was when, uh, you know, we had finished production. So 400 years from 1619 to 2019. That's amazing. I noticed that in the series, it didn't mention that black people were sold by other blacks to the Arabs, and it was the Arabs who sold Black around the world. Why was that left out? Um, for us, uh, you know, 400, uh, four hours seems like a lot of time to be able to, to tell this history. But um, as those of you who may have worked in, in, in this space know that four hours is not a, a lot of time to talk about everything that we may want. Um, so we didn't really necessarily have time to get into the history of enslavement and how the Africans came um, to this shore. Um, you know, we really wanted to start the story from their arrival in the Americas. Um, right. And so I think that's, that's partly why we didn't delve into to any of that. Yeah, I had hoped to see that because a lot of black people think that, if not most, 
they think that it was the white people who went to Africa and bought the blacks and brought them here. And uh, when it wasn't that, so I think if they had seen that, it would have cut out a little bit of the anger toward mm-hmm. white people from the blacks. Yeah, no, that's that story is a documentary onto itself. Yeah, um, about how all of that happened for sure. And you, uh, you guys interview a lot of people in the series. Um, people like uh, Oprah, John Legend, Jennifer Hudson, T.D. Uh, Jakes, Kirk mm-hmm. Fra- Franklin. They didn't they know a lot about the history of the Black Church? What? Why them instead of older generation? Yeah, no, we we wanted to have a cross-section of people that we talked to. You know, we have a number of scholars and theologians who we spoke to who have done a lot of um, research um, in the history of the Black church. And we also wanted to talk to clergy folks um, who covered a range of uh, denominations and disciplines. Um, And, you know, we also wanted to talk to... um, you know, sort of notable Black people about their Black church experience, because I think um, although those folks may not seem like they they have that background, they're certainly their spirituality and their faith has informed a lot of their work right. um, in the public space. And so, you know, that was fascinating to us that um, that there's a lot of different ways of looking at the history of the Black church that's not just through the spiritual lens of the folks who are working inside the church, but in terms of how it is expected the broader black community. And so for us, those, those folks like Jennifer Hudson and Oprah and John Legend are sort of standing in for that like wider black community. Is John Legend a Christian? Uh, Yes. I believe he was raised in the Pentecostal faith. Oh, okay. I got you. And did you have a, like a favorite moment in the documentary when you went, wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, some of the some of the things are more personal. So for me, the the most moving um, scene is the last scene that we show in the series, which is when we went back um, to the church that Dr. Gates was raised in in West Virginia. You know, that's a church that his family has attended for many, many decades. Um, And so it was really moving for him to go back home to that that church that, you know, he's moved away since and has been living um, elsewhere. And so it was a sort of a prodigal son returning home to the church that had nurtured him. And it was really moving to, you know, see his testimony and see how that community embraced him after he had been gone for such a long time. And to me, that represented sort of um, what the black church means in, in these communities that, you know, even if you don't go every Sunday or you don't go all the time, or you haven't seen those folks that when you need them, that they're there. Um, so that for me was uh, a really beautiful moment. And, you know, I hope people feel the same when they watch that in the series. And one thing I noticed, and I think I've always known this is that people in the South, I don't know how much today they're into it. They tend to take God and church a little more seriously than the people in the north or in you know the big cities. Did you notice that at all? Um, I think it's hard to say uh categorically across the board um you know I think we did find that um you know some of the rural black churches you know had been there for generations, and so therefore people had a different relationship to those churches than some maybe newer churches that have emerged in, in recent years. But, you know, I think um, by and large, you know, all of the places that we went to and visited, I think had pretty robust 
um, congregations and people who were associated with it. And, um, you know, I think even now, uh, I think there is a broad number of people who don't go to church regularly on Sundays. And there's like secularization, I think, across, uh, you know, not just black people, but white people. Um, but uh, there still is a fair number of people who um, that is a very important part of their week is, is going going to church. So the series started during t- uh, the time of slavery. What is the relationship between church and slaves? Uh, uh, and the reason I ask that, because when I was growing up, I grew up in Alabama on a plantation under the Jim Crow laws, and I didn't hear— we were, a lot about slavery. We heard about it. We talked about it a little bit. And Jim Crow, even though I grew up under Jim Crow, there was not a lot of talk about it, more about God, family, and the country. What is the relationship between uh, the church and slaves? Uh, well, I think it depends on who you ask, and I think you, it depends on which community uh, is asking that question. I mean, I think certainly um, from what we shared in the series, um, the the white community, the community of people who had enslaved folks, um, didn't really talk about um, the faith of their of the enslaved persons, um, and um, and and used um, some notion that you know black people uh, were not spiritual people, did not come with faith um, to sort of justify um, that enslavement of of people of color. Um, and I think if you asked um, the black community about the role of faith and what and if God was important to them, I think uh, it was because it was a way of them navigating this period of unfreedom that um, the faith that they saw and learned about and the stories that they learned about in the Bible helped them um, think about and understand that there could be a time when they would be free, um, that they would be liberated like the, the, the Israelites were in, in, in the Bible. Um, and so I I think you find that both communities sort of looked at the same book and looked at the same faith in very different ways. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. In the movie, I got the impression that the blacks were more, uh, when they, when they were praying about God or having church, it's in the movie, in the documentary, it seemed to be more about overcoming slavery than it was about having a relationship with God. Whereas when I was growing up, it was more about a being a child of God, having a relationship with God and he got in your way and the family and all that. Um, am I seeing that wrong? No, I don't. I don't necessarily see those as mutually exclusive. That um, I think that if you uh, if you had been living under the period of slavery and you saw yourself as a child of God, the experience that you were having on that earth did not necessarily reflect that. Um, so I think um, that certainly knowing God and having a direct relationship with God was something that was important to those enslaved Africans that we feature in the series, and a lot of them had come to the Americas with their own faith practices that they use to help them um, adapt uh, the, the Christianity that they encountered here. Right. Um, but certainly their day-to-day experiences of unfreedom had to be something that they reconciled with the faith that they were practicing. 
why did the people, the Christians in the documentary seem so sad? And, you know, when I was growing up, we wasn't as sad. We were like, we had joy, we had family, we worked. We, and we were under the Jim Crow. My grandparents, my grandfather ran the plantation, his father ran it, and so on and so on. But I never experienced such sadness in the blacks before. Why so much sadness? Uh, I don't know if I thought that they were experiencing sadness. Uh, I mean, I think that um, my sense of, you know, hearing spirituals and hymns and and some of the experiences that people had in the Hush Harbors were actually very transformative, you know, and very emotional um, for them to build community in those spaces. And so while they may have been somber about the experiences and the oppression that they faced, um, the fact that they were able to use this faith to create community with other people who looked like them and who um, saw the world in the same way that they did, um, you know, I think uh, really you can see um, reflected in, you know, things like the spirituals, which I think um, are doing a couple things on the same level. You know, they're transmitting messages and stories of pain, but also pride and hope and healing and um, all of those things at the same time, um, which was something that I felt uh, I took away from. Okay. In your opinion, is it good that white evangelicals tried to lead the black slave to Christianity? I don't have an opinion on um, whether it was good for them to do that. I think it was just something that happened and, and black people took that exposure and transformed it in a way that they felt made sense to them. Um, the reason I ask, because I know that in Africa, th they worship all kinds of things. You know, they were worshiping animals and chickens and ducks and women and flowers and everything. And that's why, you know, th that was part of the downfall for Africa. But when they came here and they learned Christianity, that seemed to have given them life back again. You agree with that? Uh, I don't know if I would agree with that. I think uh, I, my sense and my understanding of that um, the encounter that those Africans had with Christianity, that they didn't leave um, any of the faith practices that they had from Africa behind, um, that they brought those and transformed those into the Christianity that they encountered here. And so, um, you know, when you look at something, an example like the Hush Harbors, which is, you know, an outdoor, uh, outdoor praise uh, space, yeah. uh, you know, that's very much in keeping with um, some of the the African traditions of nature and spirits and um, and all of that stuff. So I don't necessarily see them um, leaving that stuff behind, but yeah. bringing it into this new space and transforming they it. They did bring Sami right because they brought voodoo and all the other stuff with them as well. I was surprised. I didn't know that blacks were into Islam way back then. I was surprised by that part. Were you surprised yeah, that by was that? Something, yeah, that was something I didn't know before working on this series. Um, you know, I had known that maybe there had been some traditional beliefs that people had um, brought with them and had practiced in, in Africa before they came to the Americas. But um, one of the things we did uh, learn was that um, there was a sizable portion of uh, those folks who were brought to America who had either been... Um, 
you know, uh, baptized as Catholic. Um, so they had been exposed to the Catholic faith in Africa, but also had, um, had a relationship with Islam, um, which had been, you know, present on the continent, um, for many, many years before, before, um, the slavery in the Americas. And so, um, there was a cross section of folks who, who were, had Catholic, uh, backgrounds, who had Islamic backgrounds and who had these traditional, beliefs that they practiced that all, you know, sort of came to the Americas and created um, these new traditions like voodoo and Santeria and, you know, the Catholicism that we see experienced in, you know, Latin America and in parts of the Caribbean. Some of those uh, those old-time African people, uh, I mean, that was into Islam, did Islam finally fade away or something from America for a while? And that's what happened? Uh, yeah, blacks. I think there. Yeah, I think you. We did see some Islamic retentions in the early practices of Christianity. So we went and visited a church in Savannah. That's one of the um, oldest churches, black, black um, churches in the Americas. And you know, there were still remnants of of Islam and Islamic text and Islamic um, writings in that church. And also, you know, when we went to go visit Sapelo Island. Some of those retentions were still present um, as some of the descendants of some of those early Muslim um, slaves were still living uh, on Sapelo Island. So it's still present, maybe not um, in the sort of overt way that uh, we would expect, but it's still it's still there. And then certainly we saw a reemergence in an interest in Islam, you know, when the Nation of Islam, you know, yeah. sort of rose to prominence in the 20th century. The Nation of Islam is a different kind of a Muslim than the real deal, right? Uh, yeah, I think um, the Nation of Islam, as we say in the documentary, definitely emerges out of um, the responses of the Black American community to what they were experiencing here um, yeah. in the Americas. Um, and, you know, that practice of Islam has also transformed over the 20th century. A lot of people, you know, they're sort of in the black community, some of their first introduction to the Islamic faith has been through the nation of Islam. And a lot of them have continued that journey towards what they call traditional Islam. Um, so, so yeah, there, there is a difference between how those things are practiced, but, um, but there is a relationship between those two. Knowing all that you know now, you help you produce this uh, documentary. Is in your opinion, would it be better to stay in Africa and never know God, or come to America and know God? Well, I would say that the Africans who came to America knew God uh, already, um, and that uh, I think their experiences and notions about that God were transformed by their experiences here. Um, and uh, what they what they learned and what they felt like was necessary for them to navigate the life that they saw here. Yeah. Um, so I feel like if they hadn't gone through that experience, I don't know where I would be. You know, I wouldn't have uh, wouldn't be here and living in this country. So uh, in some ways, uh, I, that would be negating my own history, and so I, I wouldn't necessarily decide. That. <laughs> um. When you say that, I didn't get, and I may have been missing it because I had to sit up so late to watch everything. Um, it seemed as though, other than Christianity, the, the blacks that came here, they didn't know the true God. 
they knew God, but their gods seemed to be idol gods, which wasn't benefiting them at all, kind of enslaved them, it seemed. It wasn't until they got to know the true God through, by way of Christianity that they seemed to have woken up, uh, they became more, they became free, free in, mm. in the heart and mind. Uh, well, we don't definitely make a distinction between, you know, one faith being, you know, higher or better uh, than any others. Um, so it's hard for me to make an assessment on which God is the true God for them. It's, uh, you know, our our job as filmmakers and as historians is just to share um, our understanding of the history of, yeah. of um, what they experienced and what they count, encountered and how... Uh, how it played out in the Americas um, and not to necessarily make a judgment on whether, you know, their experiences were better or worse in, in the Americas. Or did you, uh, even though you're right, I understand that, but did you notice that as a producer, did you notice the difference that those who didn't believe in the true God were more enslaved, not only in their mind, but in reality, than those who believed in the true God, Christi Christianity, Christian God? I can't, I can't make a statement either way about it. Oh, okay. About that. All right. And I noticed there was a strong emphasis on music and mm -hmm. uh, um, in the churches. Why so much singing and dancing? <laughs> uh, well, as you said, you know, there's a people want to be joyful. People want to experience joy, and and music was certainly one of the ways that people experience joy and community and and uh, release of, you know, pain, suffering, um, and any kind of expression. And so music is, you know, one of the foundational um, elements of, you know, not just the Black church experience in America, but just like most people's church experience. And so uh, for us, it was really interesting to kind of look at the evolution of music right. um, in the Black church and, you know, starting with spirituals and hymns and, and that kind of thing. And then evolving to, you know, gospel um, and its heyday and the 20th century and even, you know, the influence of, of gospel and those traditions in hip hop and contemporary R&B. And so um, it's a legacy that is has very strong and has permeated throughout the, the decades. So it wasn't about trying to bring them closer to God. It was about the suffering and the freedom and the fights and all that that they had to go through. Again, I think it's really hard to to uh, separate all of those things. I think they're all happening at the same time, that I think um, the duality of the African-American experience in America, like the joy and the pain, the yeah. hope and the hurt and the you know healing and the suffering, I think those are all in the stew. I think it's it's not just one or the other. One thing that stood out for me, and I think you're going to be able to help me on this one, I've also wondered where did the hooping and the hollering come from with the preachers? <laughs> Have you, did you wonder about that before the movie, before you made the yeah. movie? Yeah. I mean, I think there is a, you know, I think for a lot of people, uh, you know, their first encounter with, with black faith is the tradition of the black preacher who is a very particular character who uh, is very distinctive <laughs> from some of, you know, the traditional kind of white pastors that maybe people have seen before. And so we were very interested in like how that came to be and like where that came from. And yeah. um, it seemed that um, a lot of that came during the great awakening 
where you would have um, a lot of the evangelicals at the time were sort of spreading the word and the good news. And in the black communities, you would have what they called the exhorter, who would also be trying to, to make people know the story of God and, and the way that um, they told their stories and uh, conveyed that message in the black community was very different than how, you know, the sort of um, white preachers would do it. And so, you know, you start to see that the seeds of that starting around that time. And then it just it keeps going and keeps evolving as, um, as the black church develops. Yeah. I, um, do you think that uh, it's effective? Is it, I mean, is it helpful? Because I, I noticed that they're still doing it in many other black churches. And even some of the white folks who hang out with the blacks and they become preachers, they are doing it too. I know this white preacher woman, and the Lord say, I see spirit coming out of Africa, 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 a white woman. I'm like, what the? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think people, you know, there's like a kind of call and response that happens in black churches. And so if the if the congregation isn't responding, then, the you know, maybe the pastor's not doing something that's like interesting to them. And so I think if they're getting positive feedback from the congregation and the amens and the hoots and the hollers from the things that they're saying. And if they're saying it that way, then, then I think that's, that's why you see that continuing. It seems to put you into a hypnotic trance when they do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's amazing, huh? Yeah, it's really great. It's a very uh, interesting documentary though. Thank you. Um, the civil rights also, uh, you guys covered a series. There's a series on the civil rights movement. Um, why them? Why the civil rights movement? Yes. Um, well, you know, part of what we are looking at in the series is not just the spiritual role that the black church has played in the African-American community, but because it's one of the few institutions that um, has been solely controlled by black people for yeah. um, since the very beginning. Um, the church as an institution has also played a political and a social role in the community's growth and development from, you know, from during slavery through reconstruction. And we certainly saw that the church was incredibly active um, in mobilization and in organizing around the civil rights um, effort in the 50s and 60s. And so for us, that was a really important um, thread to kind of explore about the role of the church during that period. And, and certainly the leaders that emerged out of the church, like Martin Luther King and, um, and various pastors, you know. Um, yeah. Did Black Americans go about the civil rights movement in the right way? How do you mean? When I... I was growing up in Alabama just before the civil rights movement even started, right? And I remember that prior to the civil rights movement, blacks were more independent individuals. They had families. They worked. They didn't rely on the government or any leaders to guide them. And once the civil rights movement started, all that seemed to, that independence and hard work and self-reliance and family and God seemed to have gone and went to the wayside. And blacks have gone, it's just been downhill for black folks ever since then. It, it, to me, the civil rights movement was a big mistake. It should have never happened. And I believe that blacks would be more, they would be independent and free today as individuals rather than being into the black thing. 
Well, I think there are some arguments that a lot of people um, or some people have had um, about um, the community that was built behind the color line during Jim Crow segregation and how um, African-Americans, you know, um, built their own self-determination and uh, built stronger communities and, um, you know, we're kind of all in the same boat during that time and that integration sort of fractured um, some of those bonds and, and, you know, um, divided uh, that community by class, you know, the middle class African Americans who have been living in those communities behind the color line, some of them left um, to, to go elsewhere. And, you know, integration provided lots of opportunities that allowed folks to, you know, work for mainstream news organizations and not work for the black press or, or stuff like that. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of um, people who feel that way. Um, about that that transition, but um, I certainly think other people would also argue that um, that working towards civil rights and making sure that that black people were not treated as second class citizens within their own country was a very important effort. But we um, didn't seem to care about that then. No such thing as civil rights, right? We weren't thinking of that. We were blacks were building their lives. They built black universities, and high schools, and. They went there, they came back as teachers and professionals. And I think that had blacks continued down that road, they would be better off today. They would be like the Jews. The Jews are very independent. I believe that blacks would be very independent had that not happened and not trying to make someone love them. They wouldn't be begging for love by taking other people's stuff and intimidating them and all that. They seem to be begging for love now. Instead of being, you know, I'm used to, I'm accustomed to blacks being independent and treating all people the way they would like to be treated in return. They got their back in return because they were respected. But the civil rights movement, along with other things, seem to have taken that away from the black. And they're in a blaming and begging mode right now, kind of a mob mentality. Unlike the Jews who kept their independence and worked their way through rather than trying to make someone love them. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of people who think um, all kinds of ways about about that, and you know, I think our goal as filmmakers is just to present uh, the history as we came across it, and um, you know, whether people have their own personal experiences or personal beliefs on whether something was the right decision or not the right decision was not really um, something that we were thinking about right. necessarily as filmmakers. Did you notice that, though, while making this film, because you put a lot of work into it, that you noticed the difference in the change once the civil rights movement came along? They went downhill? Um, well, I don't know if I would necessarily say that things went downhill. Uh, I think there were just a lot of different experiences on all sides. Um, I think one of the important things that we wanted to share in the series was that, um, you know, not everyone was supportive of the civil rights movement, that there were a lot of conservative elements within the community that, that didn't, that felt that that was radical or didn't feel like it was necessary. And so it was important for us to, to convey that the African-American community is not a monolith, that there are a lot of different people within that community who believe all kinds of things. There's a spectrum within that. And so, uh, you know, I think that was really important for us to convey um, and not really make any judgments about that. Uh, in your opinion, was Linda B. Johnson a good influence in doing this movie? Was it uh, Linda B. Johnson a good influence for the blacks or bad? 
Uh, I didn't necessarily, I didn't work on that episode. Um, so it's hard for me to say with any certainty whether he was a important or not important, um, person. One thing I wondered about in the civil rights aspect of the movie, I've noticed that some of the so-called leadership in the civil rights movement, like Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, and others, I know that Jesse Jackson, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King never liked Jesse Jackson because Jesse Jackson always had a hidden agenda, right? He threw him out of the movement a couple of times. And I noticed that once Dr. King was assassinated, Jackson and Shopton, they seem like ra- they are race hustlers. So they have taken what looked like it meant to be a good intention and turned it into a personal gain by causing blacks to blame white folks and hate white people for their own personal gain. Did you see that? Uh, I didn't necessarily see that. I mean, we we interviewed Al Sharpton for the series. and I was you know, sorry for- about that. What a mess. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, well, I actually thought, you know, his insights and his experiences were very valuable um, for our audience. And, you know, he, he felt very... Um, influenced by the things that he learned as a as a young person in the King movement and that influenced a lot of the work that he went on to do with the National Action Network and you know with his um, political activism and um, electoral um, uh, aspirations so you know for us it was just really important to show those folks who had firsthand experiences in in both the in both the church and in the politics of the day in terms of what we were um, sharing with our audience and um, to hear from them firsthand about um, oh, I see. what motivated. So you're trying to show the good and the bad because there's both. Yeah. Things. We're just, we're just presenting things as they are and leaving it up to our audience to, to come to their own conclusions about um, whether they right. buy it or buy it or like it or don't like it or, see it as the right move or the wrong move. That I don't think that was necessarily our goal. Is One thing I was surprised by, because I thought the documentary was going to focus on black Christian, right? I was surprised when, um, at the focus on feminism and gender. Why that? Because black people weren't into those kinds of things at all. And had they maintained their independence, they would not be into those things now. Why did you guys bring that uh, feminism and gender into it well i mean i i think if you ask some of those women who were advocating for uh, a righteous disconsent in the late 19th century whether you know gender identity was important to them i think they would say yes um so this was not something that we we made up this was something that um emerged out of our research and and discussions and conversations with the the scholars and you know female pastors and and, and various folks that this was an important thread that women um, had been the backbone of the black church and may not have necessarily had access to the power positions in the church, whether that's the pulpit or, yeah. or other things, you know, that there existed a stained glass ceiling. And those are not words that I made up. Those were words that were um, shared with us during our research. And so I think it certainly, well, um, 
Black women and myself included uh, consider their racial identity a very important part of their self-definition. I think there are also a lot of people who have other identities that are important to them, um, whether that's gender, sexuality, class. Um, and so I think it was important for us to uh, reflect again that the Black community is not a monolith and that they have a lot of different life experiences that are important to them that they want to see reflected in their in their faith community and in their churches. So was that supposed to be a positive or a negative? Again, not, you know, not there to say whether it's positive or negative, oh, but okay. just to state that this is a reality that a lot of people find important to them and uh, want the church to reflect that those things are interested to them, you know, in, important to them. Um, and so some churches have responded to that and some have not. I got you. Because I noticed the, uh, there was an example of a lot of several black female preachers, right? And I know in the good old days when boys were boys and men were men, they would never have allowed a woman to be a preacher because they knew that it's not in the woman's nature to lead. Women were created to follow and not to lead. And a man should never follow a woman because every time he does, he suffer. And so they knew the order of God in Christ, Christ and man, man over woman and woman over children. And there would have been no way that the black men and women would have allowed a woman to be in the poor pit or be a leader because every time you put them in a leadership role, everything goes to hell in a handbasket because it's not in their nature. And so that's why I wonder why the focus on feminism and gender. Well, I would definitely disagree that anytime a woman has uh, reached a position of power in the church that uh, it led to, you know, hell in a handbasket. One of the prominent women that we did interview, uh, Vasha McKenzie, who was one of the first uh, female bishops in the AME church, which is one of the original denominations of uh, black Christians in America. And she has been incredibly influential and powerful in transforming that church in the contemporary society. Um, and certainly our interview with Yvette Flunder, who has opened her own church, uh, that she felt like reflects the values of what she believes are important things to consider has also been very important and influential in the community that she opened it. And so we had numerous examples of that in our series. And, um, you know, I think the point that they would make is that uh, women are a sizable portion of the Black church community and have a lot to contribute to that, and that that should be reflected in the positions that they have in the churches. Yeah, I understand that. But if you notice, and you're right about that, the women aren't, quote unquote, taking over right now. But if you notice in AME church and the churches where the women have, the men have allowed the women to take over. They are like weak and feminist and men have stopped going there for the most part. You have some guys that, you know, don't know it better or just don't care or whatever, but those churches are weak in nature. They don't, they're not strong, masculine, powerful churches because there's no strength. Women don't have strength. You know, they're not, they don't have it because God didn't give it to them. They made them follow. So you're right. They are taking over, but it still doesn't work. And I was wondering, well, that's the point where you brought in this feminine and gender stuff. Was the point to show that their arrival made the black church weak? Yes. No, no, that was not the point we were trying to make. And I think I just expressed that they did not do that. So I think I've answered that question. 
Why do you say in the good old days that they, the black men and women did not allow women to be preachers or leaders? Why do you think it was then? When men, um, when black was independent? Uh, I mean, I think as, as you know, the people we interviewed said that it reflected uh, their embrace of the patriarchal system in which they existed. Yeah. And so, you know, whether that was inside the black church or not, uh, they were reflecting the patriarchy that existed in America at that time. You know, at the time that that men had these prominent positions, women uh, did not have the right to vote. <laughs> you know, they did not have a lot of the rights that they have now. And so uh, that's that was a reflection of that time. Right. And, uh, I don't think that is the time that we are in right now. And so I think the church has revolved to evolved to reflect that. Nor would you know now because you learned a lot. Do you agree that? When women were, do you agree that women should not be preachers? And it was a mistake. No, I don't agree. I don't agree with that at all. Oh, you don't? No, I don't agree with it. I'm I surprised because I thought you would see both sides—the strong and the weak. Right? Do you have you noticed those since they became preachers and they got the right to vote that the, the world going to hell in a handbasket because there are more women than there are men and things are getting worse instead of better? No, I don't agree with that. Oh, you so, don't really. No, I don't. But but then you notice the the difference between the strength of black folks before all this other stuff happened and the weakness of them now? I don't know if I would categorize it or characterize it as strength or weakness. Um, I, I would say that uh, I think, of course, when the black church was operating as an ind independent institution, uh, during the Jim Crow era, it had a lot of control and a lot of influence over the community when that was all the community had. Um, and I think certainly post-civil rights movement and when you have this period of integration where there are a lot of places that African-Americans of all stripes can go to get some solace beyond just the the confines of their community, then, then that that influence is going to wane. Oh. Uh, but I think what we have found is that when periods of, um, of, of horrible things that have happened in this community and when people need to rally around each other, they have. Okay. Another thing that I can't wait to hear you point on this. I wish I had been there with you taping this, but thank you for the documentary. Really, I saw a lot. Um, the one thing I know for sure, in the good old days before the civil rights movement and all that, uh, you brought you guys brought in same-sex marriage. There was uh, uh, the series also support homosexuality within the church. There was a reverend by the name of Jonathan Walton, and he said that black churches have always included homosexuals at every phase. He said there's a there is a don't ask, don't tell policy. Um, I know that there have always been homosexuals and lesbians and all that around because of sin. And and if someone was in that father state, it was hidden because they knew it was a shame. And the church would show them how to overcome it. Right. By causing by pointing them out to be born again. But um it was never accepted as a good, and it wasn't talked about and promoted as a good. It was a sense of shame to be in that fallen state. Do you agree with uh, him that the black church is always included, or you know that that's not true? 
Um, I mean, I think they have always included because there have always been folks who had a spectrum of sexualities that exists within the black community. So, but you, uh, went, you didn't know about it or you didn't preach about it. You, you, they call it sin and they were showing them how to overcome it. They knew it was a wrong. It was a shame. So they taught them how to overcome it rather than coming out of the closet or accepting it as something good. That's why black people were decent people. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't I don't characterize that as the good old days. I mean, I think that certainly was a period where people didn't feel like they could freely express themselves. And certainly the society has uh, transformed and evolved since then. And so folks uh, who feel that way want to be able to be all of who they are, uh, especially within something as intimate as their religious and faith practices. And so that was something that we felt like was an important theme to raise in the series. Was that an amazing thing for you to discover? Because during those days, black people knew that being a homosexual or being a drug addict or being a lesbian or being a whatever, it wasn't who you were. It's just that you have fallen away from God and Satan was your daddy and you took all his... I don't agree with that statement at all. You didn't notice that? I don't agree with that statement at all. No, that's the way it was in the good old days before the civil... I don't agree with that statement at all. What do you mean by that? I don't agree with that statement at all. What what do you mean? Was there something that says I'm wrong by that in that? I I don't agree with the statement that uh, that is a sinful thing and that they were um, taught that that was a sinful thing. I don't agree with that. No, they would never. There's no way you were coming out of a closet or promoting. Black people were even ashamed of having children out of wedlock in those days. If a woman got pregnant, she would have to go to Indiana somewhere until she had that baby or stay in the house, right? Because blacks had a higher sense of morality and respect for what was right. But once the civil rights movement came, they lost that. And that's part of their suffering now. Did you notice that change? I can't say that, no. You had In the documentary, you covered a lot of controversial figures such as Marcus Garver, Garvey, Jeremiah Wright Jr. and James Cone. James Cone is the one that came up with the black liberation theology thing, right? Yes. What is your what 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 impression did you have from the black liberation theology theory to in comparison to real Christianity? In comparison to real Christianity? Yes. What do you mean? Because real Christianity is not about your color. It's not about male or female. It's about the spirit. We are a spirit created image of God. And black knew that at one time. So they went into the color thing. You know, this guy, uh, James Combe, who was really brought in, too, by Jeremiah Wright Jr., were into the color thing. How did you feel with those two differences? Well, my understanding of black theology and black liberation theology as expressed by James Cohn was that it was an effort to— to bring the the faith that had driven the um, work of the civil rights movement with the emerging black power, um, yeah, you know, theology not theology but black power ideology that didn't necessarily see itself as part of a faith tradition, and so it was a effort to blend both of those things and both of those aspects of the black community that were expressing themselves. Oh, I see. That point in time. 
So it's more about a black movement than about God himself. I think it's about all of those things. Amazing. You, you guys even brought in Michael Brown. The series included a discussion of Ferguson and Michael Brown. But Michael Brown was a bad example for black people. Am I right? I don't agree with that. Oh, you know? I don't. Why not? What is? I don't. I don't. I don't agree with that statement at all. But there was nothing Christian about Michael Brown or his family. But I don't. Does that mean that someone who's not Christian deserves to be murdered in the middle of the street? I mean, I don't. I don't understand that question. I mean, if you run out and attack a cop, you deserve what you get, right? Uh. I don't have an answer for that. Okay. I, mean, I, I will just say that I do have a conflict at 4.30, so I don't know if you have one more question. Okay. i got to put you on the hot seat. I need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible, all right? The hot seat. True or false, America is the greatest country in the world. <laughs> <laughs> is that a real question? Yes. True or false? <laughs> I need quick answers. True or false? America is the greatest country in the world. Compared to what? Do you admire American founding fathers? I have a great appreciation for the history of America, yes. Capitalism or socialism? I don't understand this question. <laughs> Capitalism or socialism? Which you prefer? I don't have an answer to that. Do you support abortion? Yes, I support a woman's right to choose, I do. Is Jesus black? Some would say yes. <laughs> uh, do you trust the government? Uh, which government? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question. What is your best source for real news, in your opinion? What is the best source for real news, in your opinion? Uh, I don't go to one source. I believe in in critical thinking across a lot of sources. Does Barack Obama promote good or evil? I don't think he promotes evil. Will you celebrate White History Month with me this July? We started White History Month in July. Will you celebrate White History Month with me? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. This is our fourth uh, year coming up. Uh. I celebrate all histories at all, all times. So you will celebrate white history with me? With at us? all times. All history at all times. Do you love white people? I love some white people, yes. And the last one. Should biological males be allowed to dominate women's sports? I don't understand that question. I don't have an opinion on that. You don't <laughs> have an opinion. Question. Did you have fun? This is a very interesting conversation. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and thank you for uh, sitting in the hot seat there. Tell the folks how they can get the series or your website or any other information you'd like to give out. Yeah, you can watch the Black Church. This is our story. This is our song on PBS.org and your local PBS station. You can also um, get Dr. Gates's book, companion book um, to the series, and if you want to learn more. Shayla Harris, a very interesting discussion. Thank you for coming on, and I appreciate you. Thank you, all right? All right, bye now. And thank you folks for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Let us hear from you. Don't forget to like, follow, share, ring the bell. Check out our merch. We have the best merch on this side of heaven. Check it out, and uh, 
Let me hear from you. Don't forget to follow, all right? And all that good stuff. Take care. Next time on The Fallen State. I have with me Wicca Blue Moon. So are you a good witch or a bad witch? I try to be as good as I humanly can. Are you bad sometimes? I'm not perfect. I I've been known to do a couple of uh, bad spells here and there. Ooh. How many times have you been on Earth before? Uh, three. You were killed and your wife would kill? Actually, I was forced and quartered. And how long ago was that? Fort 1835. What the? How do you discover all this stuff? Through my goddess. How old is she? She is as old as the earth is. Oh, well, she said, come on to me, Wiki Blue Moon. Was she saying that? <laughs> <laughs> Your wife is a witch. Actually, no. She is a uh, Presbyterian. What a mess. watching the fallen state we need your continued support donate to my nonprofit here subscribe and like the videos here and tell everybody and their mama about the show mm -hmm.